Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you all. Welcome. Welcome uh, regulars and welcome any visitors here. So good to have you with us. Uh, We're going to take time to dig into the Bible. We love doing this every week and we find that the Bible never fails to speak to us because it's God's Word. We believe it's inspired. That's why we take time to kind of meticulously unpack it because we want to get out of it everything that we feel God put into it. So that's that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, But hey, welcome to church. And after I speak here, what I always do is I go from here to our south location, and then the week after I preach in our Leith location, and then go to our Granton location. So that's kind of, I cover all locations over two-week period, that's what I do. And today in south, very exciting, they don't have their venue today, so they've decided to have church in the park. And it's going to be glory. I don't care what the forecast says, it will be glorious sunshine over the park. You can watch the time until about half past one when everyone's had their lunch. I've finished preaching. We've sang all the songs. Then the rain will pour down in Pennycook. But until then, there will be sunshine. Give me an amen in Jesus' name. Yes, there will. Yes, there will. So that's where I'm going to. Glorious sunny Pennycook straight after this service. Uh, Dead excited. You know, this is actually our birthday. This is not this Sunday, but over these next few weeks is our 20-year anniversary as a church. Isn't that great? You can clap about that. It's good. So no more teenage nonsense, church. All right, none of that kind of teenage sass. You understand what I'm saying? None of that. We're going to be mature now, okay? From now on, we're really sensible and mature. But we're dreaming more than ever before. We're believing for more than ever we've seen. Thank God for the last 20 years. But the next 20 years are going to be the best. We're going to take bolder steps. We're going to believe God for more fruit. We're going to see more people come to faith. We're going to see more churches planted. We're going to impact our city and region more than ever before. We've got a good starting point now. Thank God for the, we've got a good foundation. But now the real thing kicks in. That's what I'm believing for. So as as we go into the summer, second half of the summer, we're going to take time to do a whole big vision series where we're going to call it 20 years on. And we're going to unpack, okay, thank God for that, but what's up ahead? And we're going to reiterate our vision and I'm really excited about also sharing some plans. There's lots of plans bubbling away in my soul, things that I feel, st- not just the two new locations we're going to plant in the next couple of years, but more than that, I'm feeling a real sense of excitement about what God wants to do in us and through us. So church, it's time to dream big and believe big, flow together, and be excited about all that God is going to do in our lives. Let's pray. Father, speak to us just now as we turn to the Bible. Reveal yourself in the way only you can. God, you know each and every person in this room, and I know you love them. God, you really love them. They may not even love themselves, but you love them. And I know you love them because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, you died for them on the cross. And you wouldn't do that for people you didn't love. And God, creator of all things, thank you that you love us so much that you were willing to pay a personal price for us. We're humbled. Jesus, thank you you're alive right now. God, thank you by your Holy Spirit you're in this room right now. As we unpack this last section in the book of Philippians, I pray you'd speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We've loved the book of Philippians. Well, I've loved it. I don't know if you have, but you've been listening in to my journey, and I've loved it. 
It's a great book. It's all about joy. 19 times in the book, it talks about joy and rejoicing. So we called it Unlocking Joy because Paul wrote this book about joy from a prison of all places. I mean, you were going to write a book about joy, write it from a beach in the Bahamas, not from a prison in Rome. And yet he wrote from a prison in Rome because the kind of joy we're talking about isn't a joy that is confined to the beach in the Bahamas, but it is the joy that you can have no matter what your circumstance Because your joy isn't based on circumstance. Your joy is based on God. And he just doesn't change. And therefore, your joy can be constant in good times and in bad times. That's what the book's been about. And as we're coming to the end of the book, we actually get an understanding of, ah, here's why Paul wrote this book. He's writing the book actually as a thank you letter. Now, when I say the word thank you letter, some of you have shivers down your spine because you remember your parents after Christmas got used to write those thank how many people remember having to write thank you letters after Christmas and you didn't how many people felt grateful in that moment no you didn't feel grateful at all you were feeling deeply resentful they're asking me to write thank you letters I want to play with my toys but you had to write your thank you letters because gratitude's important but Paul was writing a actually this was a thank you letter to the church in Philippi before we get into the verses today let me show you a few thank you letters here's one um first one is dear grandma and grandpa thanks for what you got me, love Dylan. P.S. I forgot what you got me. <laughs> okay, next one. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. Joyce. Thank you, Mom, for making me food so I don't die. <laughs> so, thing you'd ever think of. But isn't it true, eh? Thank Thank the Lord for our mums. Dear Mrs. Bullwinkle, thank you for the dollar. I now have $68.50. I can't tell which one yours is because I have so many dollar bills. Love, Sam. <laughs> thank you letters. Paul's writing a thank you letters. Paul's writing a thank you. The book of Philippians is a big thank you letter. Four chapter thank you letter. You're up the game with your kids, getting them to go for a four chapter thank you letter next Christmas. And you know, gratitude, contentment, is a generosity. Those three things are kind of rare in a consumeristic, ungrateful society. And this is what these verses are all about, gratitude, contentment, and generosity. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 onwards. I rejoiced greatly. There we have it again, joy. (laughs) 19 mentions in the book. Here it is again. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. But I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. What a secret. You know what it is to have plenty. You know what it is to have zip all. But I know what it is to be content. No matter what, whether I'm in plenty or in needs, I've got contentment. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all thing, all this through him who gives me strength. And yet it was good for, of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, 
Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aids more than once when I was in need. Not, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God's will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send their greetings. All God's people send you greetings, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And that's how the book ends. So we realize at the end of the book that actually one of the big agendas in Paul's mind was, this is a thank you letter. He's saying, by the way, thanks for your gift. So he's got three things he's want to say. He's got three headings. First heading is this, generous givers. Paul had previously boasted about the Philippian church, not just in this passage, right? Paul speaks about this church in other letters. He writes to other churches. Let me give you an example. When he wrote to the church at Corinth, he mentions the church at Philippi. They are known for their generosity. Listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know about the grace of, that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, when he says the Macedonian churches, the first church planted in Macedonia and the prominent church in Macedonia was the church at Philippi, right? So he's, he is referring to them. That in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy at and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. In other words, the church of Philippi, church of Corinth, you need to know, this church of Philippi, even though they were going through real hard times, didn't really have much, they were radically generous. And often that's the case, isn't it? Sometimes it's not the rich who are the generous. Sometimes it's people who are in great poverty are radically generous. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. And they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Wow. I mean, how often do you see that in Scotland? Please let us give you money. Seriously. That is so countercultural. They, listen to the words again. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, privilege of sharing in this opportunity to give to the Lord's service. And they exceeded all of our expectations because they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to, uh, then by the will of God also to us. And that's what happens when you give yourself to the Lord. It is the natural thing that you will then feel this impulse to bless other people. And that's what happened in this church way back then in, in Philippi. Incredible. They were the first, it was the first of the Macedonian churches. And in the verses we've just read, verse 15 and 16, it says, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So what happened in history is so Paul's writing from Rome now in a prison. But 12 years before that, Paul had planted the church in Philippi. The church had got off the ground. You can read that in Acts chapter 16. And after planting the church in Philippi, he went from there to a place called Thessalonica to plant a church there. And he went around to Berea and various other places in that whole region planting churches. And as he traveled that 100 miles from um, 
Philippi to Thessalonica, the Philippians sent him money for the church plant in Thessalonica. And in fact, it was their habit. For the next 12 years, the Philippians just kept sending resources to Paul so that Paul could keep doing the work of ministry. And thank God, because history was changed. You know, our, we have a book of Acts. It just, just shows you, it shows you kind of the miracles and the church growth and the dramatic things. But hey, you need to know behind the scene, there was a backstory. The backstory was there was a pile of people in the church of Philippi sending resource, enabling Paul and his team to keep doing what they were doing. We see the dramatic results of it, but there was, and there's always a backstory, folks. There's always a backstory. We've seen 20 years of, thank God, success in this city. But there is a backstory. There is a pile of people. God knows their names. Many of you are here. Many of them are in our other three locations, four of our locations. Where they're, they're just a, a bunch of people. You're a bunch of people who just behind the scenes serve and give and are generous because you believe in this thing. And that's what this church at Philippi was like. The 12 years, they've been just sending resource. Verse 18 says, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So what's happening now is this. Paul's been traveling for 12 years. Philippian church has been sending resources to help him. Now Paul isn't 100 miles away. Now Paul is 800 miles away in Rome. They're still in Philippi. He's in Rome. And again, they send resource to help Paul in Rome. When you were a prisoner in Rome, it wasn't like the prison service here where you get satellite TV, kind of jacuzzi, big, big armchairs, and like cappuccino on demand. It's not like that. It's not like that in prison in Rome. They literally didn't provide a thing for you in Rome. That's terrible, isn't it? Um, they didn't provide a thing for you in Rome, and you literally had to provide your own resources. And if you didn't have people providing for you, you were in trouble. So the, here's the Philippian church sending money to Paul, who was in prison 800 miles away. 800 miles, just to picture this. That's like... John O'Groats to Land's End is just over 800 miles. So they've sent aid from John O'Groats to Land's End in a time when they, they didn't have bicycles or cars or trains or airplanes. They had donkeys and feet. And, and it wasn't like big roads. And it, it, it was in the heat of the day. And it, there was bandit-ridden territory. And this guy, Epaphroditus, is carrying a big resource to bless Paul, just to say this church loves you and they want to support you even in this moment. That's incredible. So that's pretty costly giving. At the start, they were begging for the opportunity to give. Now they're traveling hundreds of miles to show love and appreciation to a minister and to this movement that they've believed in that so impacted them, they wanted it to continue and to spread. Incredible. What was the source? Now, just, just a, a side point here. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this guy Epaphroditus actually, as a result of that long journey, listen to what he says, Philippians 2.25, I think it was necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you. And he was distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So in other words, this 800-mile journey... And we, we don't know what was his illness, we, but the inference is that somehow or another he was worse for wear as a result of this trip. That as a result of this trip, he was worse for wear. So here's a guy who's just out of love to give. They just traveled this huge distance at his own expense. It's incredible. 
That's a huge sacrifice. What was the source of this radical generosity? And just from the verses, I'm, I'm seeing three things. First of all, I'm seeing they were generous because of the gospel. It says in verses 4 and 5, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. That means good news. From the first day until now. What inspired this church to say, please, we plead with you for the opportunity to give. What inspired that kind of radical general? What inspired this church, even in the midst of their dire poverty themselves, that they were radically generous? What inspired this church that they would, for 12 years, provide continual support for an apostle and for his ministry team so they could do what they were doing? What inspired this church that even now, the sending a guy 800 miles nearly cost him his life to get a gift to Paul. That's pretty radical generosity. What inspired that? Answer, radical grace, the gospel. What inspired them was the very fact that we serve a God who's generous. Their generosity was inspired by a God who's generous. Yeah, they made a long distance. They gave up a lot to give. But you need to understand that the biggest distance was not the distance from Philippi to Rome. But the biggest distance was the distance from heaven to earth. And 2,000 years ago, God in his radical, radical love entered into human existence. Jesus Christ was born. He was born to a virgin, lived this incredible life knowing it would cost him everything. God made that trip, not from Philippi to Rome, but he made a trip from heaven to earth to sacrificially give to us, to resource our lives in the most profound and helpful way, to provide for us what we absolutely needed, salvation. And ultimately, he knew it was going to cost him everything. Jesus Christ, as he died on that cross, was not dying because he was a criminal. He was dying for criminals, us. We're sinners. He was dying in our place, one man for all people. He was paying the price that needed to be paid, that we should have paid. He paid for us. In his radical love, he gives us this free gift of eternal life as we trust in Jesus. Came at his own expense. There was no other way. You couldn't have earned eternal life by your good works. We were already too far gone. Jesus Christ paid the price for us to get a gift that we do not deserve. He did that because he loved you and he died on a cross. He came. That was a huge distance. Now that radical, radical love motivated them to say, well, we want to be like God. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be generous, just like God is generous. You see, that was, what, that was the biggest motivator. They were motivated by this thing called the gospel. And you can be too. You can be motivated by this thing called the gospel, not just to give money. Man, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But bigger than that, to give your heart, to give your time, to give your resource, absolutely. But to give your whole life, to give everything to the gods who gave everything for you. That should be the motivating factor why you get up in the morning. Why do you do what you do? Why do you live? Why do you breathe? You know why I get up in the morning? I get up in the morning because God's given me life. He's given it, he, and he's not only given me life, he gave his life for me. I want to live my life for him. Let that radical love inspire radical living in your souls. Let, let, don't, don't kind of be religious. Don't just think, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. no. Let the implications of that hit you and transform you into a radical believer in Jesus. Stop being on the fence, wishy-washy religious people. Be radical believers in Jesus because he was radical for you. God was not on the fence concerning you. Don't you be on the fence concerning God's. Say amen. It's so important. 
there was a young boy who came to a missionary one day in an in a island and said to the missionary, I have a gift for you. And he took out of his basket this beautiful, ornate shell presented to this missionary lady. And the missionary, she said, this is amazing. And she, and she knew that you only got this shell from the totally opposite side of the island. So she, she quizzed the young boy and said, don't you get these shells from the opposite side of the island, which was one day walk away? Don't you get the shell only from the other side of the island? And the young boy smiled and said, yes, the long journey is part of the gift. And he gave the gift. And so we are given eternal life. But God didn't just give us eternal life. He gave us it in the most remarkable way. That long journey, the whole cross, the whole virgin birth at Christmas, that whole journey is part of the gift. He has put the gift on this beautiful platform of a radical life, and that's Jesus Christ. We get this great eternal life. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave. How could you not be generous when you created the image of a God who is the most generous? For God so loved the world, the world that turned their back on him. God so loved that world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And let me just say today, I don't know you all, but God does. And when it says God so loved the world, he means you. Personally, you. Hey, but that's 2,000 years ago, Peter. How? No, no, he wasn't just a man. He's God. You're on his mind. He created you. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that if you today in Gorgi, in this venue, believe on Jesus. I'm not just talking about, oh yeah, I believe he's there. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about committing yourself to him, trusting him totally. If you believe in him, today in this room, you will be given a gift, eternal life. You might look the same on the outside, but something will change in the inside if you trust Jesus as your savior. And today you're going to get that opportunity at the end of the service. Trust Jesus as your savior. Wow, I love this. And you know, so as a result of the gospel, they were generous. Um, Arthur C. Brooks was a social scientist and a writer, and in 2006, he published a book called Who Really Cares? In the book, he showed the statistic, and he said this, 91% of people who identify themselves as religious are likely to give to charity, as opposed to 66% of people who are not religious. In his book, he's, he's done some research, and he's, and he's found what should be the case, that if we're saying we follow God's and if God is the most generous, then this should inspire us the same radical generosity. We shouldn't be about take, we should be about give, because that's what God's about. So they were generous because of the gospel. Secondly, they were generous because of, it's an act of worship. Look at the verses again, verse 18. I've received from Epaphroditus gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Now see, when you hear those words, Fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That's the language of worship. You not agree? That's the language of worship. Sacrifice, fragrant, offering, sacrifice. Here's the point. Do you use your money to worship or do you worship your money? And I think that's the, that's the bottom line. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You either serve God or money. You know, do you worship with your money or do you worship your money? In other words, 
Is money the reason you make your decisions or don't make your decisions? Or is God the reason you make your decisions or don't make your decisions? I'm not saying you shouldn't budget. I'm not saying you shouldn't know these things. But I'm saying God's going to be God. And these people use their offering as a part of saying, God, we love you. I don't give tithes, offerings, alms to the poor. I don't, we, me and Ange don't do that out of legalistic duty. We believe in that as a biblical principle. Tithes, offerings, it's in the Bible. We believe in it. We believe in it for all time, for all believers. Abraham right through. We believe in it. We don't do it out of duty. We love it. It's honest, it's never been a duty. Since I've been, a t- I remember as a teenager when I became a Christian, age 15, as soon as I, I read about these things, I thought, wow, this is great. I started tithing, giving offerings and almsgiving. And it's been a delight and a joy. And it's the first thing that goes out. For me, I give, we, our, our offerings, tithes, almsgiving, go out in the first of the month. It, for us, it's not, oh, let's see what we've got left at the end. It's, the Bible calls it first fruits. Tithing's called first fruits. We want to give it first, first and the best. We want it to be the priority because God's our priority. So we, we give as quick as we can because we believe in this. And it's a joy because it's worship. We get to give to God. Love that. And it's just, they, were, they were also generous because of their leader and his vision. To be honest, I see that. They weren't just giving randomly. They were giving to a specific person. They were giving to the Apostle Paul and his ministry team. They saw him plant churches. They wanted to invest in that. They saw him doing the ministry. They believed in the anointing of God in his life. They believed in the ministry and the message he was proclaiming. And they could see the fruit. And they were saying, we want to invest in that. Verse 16, it says, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once. They were constantly, he had planted their church in Philippi. But now they were investing in him in Paul planting churches in other places. And Paul's writing a thank you letter to say, thank you. I know you didn't, and, and let me also say, after 20 years of church, thank you. I, I know you didn't give to me, primarily. You gave because of the gospel. You gave because you've been impacted by a generous God, so you want to be generous. I also know you gave as an act of worship. They're the big reasons. But we cannot avoid the fact that if you didn't trust the pastor, you wouldn't have given here, right? If you, you, you believe in the vision that God has placed in my heart, and therefore you're giving. So, thank you. I, I take it as a huge um, privilege and as, a, as a, a sobering sense of, I've got to be a good steward of that. And here's what I promise you. I promise you before God that we do everything we can and we will continue to do everything we can to be meticulous stewards of all money that is given at Destiny Church, handling in the fear of God finances. I thank God for the likes of Andrew McGreen and others around him and we have a management team who give advice as well. I'm deeply grateful for the people who steward our finances and they report back to me and it's handled with in, the, in, our, in our dealings with salaries, in our dealings with giving beyond ourselves, in their dealings with budgets. I can say we live, we, we live a pretty strict financial disciplines organization. And that's only appropriate because this is God's money. And the second thing I promise you is this. We will continue in the next 20 years to be as if not more radical in our faith and in our endeavors to plant churches 
to make disciples like Jesus told us to make and be true to the vision that God has called us to be true to. We're going to be more single-minded, more radical, more bold in our steps than we've ever been. That's my two promises. We will be good stewards and the best is yet to come. So Paul was trying to say thank you. And I must want to say thank you. It's 20 years. And here we are, one church now, four locations. Two of our locations, Gorgie and Leith, we own the buildings. That, that, I didn't come from nothing. Sometimes you just take these things for granted. People, many of you, but also many over the years, have given sacrificially. So we're in this building. And we've got these buildings for bargains. We've got this for £900,000, which in a city that you could buy a house for that, that's pretty good because most houses don't seat 700 people. You know? I don't know about your living room. If your living room does, let me know because we want to do something in your house. Okay? But that's, that's a bargain. And we've got our other building for a quarter of a million. That didn't come from nowhere. That came from the radical givering of people. And some of those people are now in other parts of the world planting churches or other parts of the world, students who graduated and moved on or just moved away. Or, but you know what? Thank God. And thank God we've got a lease, and a 10-year lease and a venue in our north location and we rent weekly in our south location. And today we're in the park. <laughs> okay, we're homeless. But thank God. We've, do you know we've started six churches We've not, not just got four locations in it, but we've planted churches all over the world. Hong Kong, Poland, Falkirk, Inverness, Dunfermline. Um, we've planted Gombe, northeastern Nigeria. We've planted churches. And as we've planted churches, we've sent out the best of our people and we've sent money with them. It's, it, you, you guys will probably say goodbye and that's it. But what you don't see behind the scenes is, for example, in Gombe, we continually send money to help them get projectors for their building. They're building a kid's wing just now in their new building in Gombe. So we're, adding, we're giving money from the, 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 the resource here. We, we, as a church, tithe from what comes in. We tithe out. In fact, we usually give more than tithe. We give about 17% of everything that comes in away. 10% to missions and to our apostolic funds by which we resource missions. And the rest of it to in-house and out-house needs and poverty around the world. We believe, we don't just believe in receiving, we believe in giving as a church. We believe in this. And it's only possible by the radical generosity of you folks. You folks gave £700,000 to underwrite our launch of our four new locations. The refurbishment of our two buildings. They are bubbling away in the behind the scenes. We look forward to giving you more news on that. And the finishing of an orphanage in India. I was just over in India. 70 grand has been given from this church, from your giving to help that orphanage get off the ground. And it looks fantastic. It's nearly finished. And by the time it's finished, it will accommodate an additional 50 plus kids and become a training center and a life-giving center for the whole community. It's amazing. That's your giving. So thank you. Why don't you just give yourselves a round of applause? I think it's amazing. So first of all, you've got the generous givers. But then you've got the contented receivers. Verse 11. Paul says, I have learned to be content wherever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's amazing. To have this secret. He's found the secret of being content no matter what the circumstances. That is so rare. So rare. And so needed, right? But so rare. Time magazine uh, did an article a while back 
about a mugger who held up a woman at gunpoint and demanded all her money. So she emptied her, her handbag and all she had was, was £12.50. And he was so angry at this. This just totally wasn't enough. So he saw that she had a checkbook and said, right, write me out a check for £300. So she wrote me out a check for £300. And the next day, true story, next day he was arrested as he tried to cash the check. Right? So just not contented. I mean, he should have just been contented with the £12.50. <laughs> but contentment is such a rare a rarity. And Paul says, I had to learn contentment. See that in the verses? I learned contentment. You know, in, in other words, it's not natural. Something you've got to learn. Just like weeds. Weeds. You don't, you don't sow weeds in your garden. They just, they're just there. And so also covetousness, discontentment, and murmuring are just, just come tragically natural to our fallen human nature. You don't teach people to complain, do you? You know, but we're experts. We're experts. You don't need to teach us. We just, it just comes naturally. Oh, I, I, that's natural. But contentment, like a beautiful flower that needs cultivated, it isn't necessarily the most natural thing, and yet it is a beautiful thing, and we know deep down it's exactly what we were meant to be, contentment. And uh, by the way, generosity is an excellent way of cultivating contentment in your soul. Did you know that? When you're generous... It's almost like, see, when I, when I tithe, it's almost like I am taming my finances. You will not rule me. In fact, just to prove you're not, the first 10% goes to God. In fact, it's all God's anyway. He's just letting me keep 90%. So I, I tame my finances. I say 10% out. And then on top of that, we give over and above. And it's general, and it just gives such a deep sense of peace because you're not ruled by money. You're not, decisions aren't ruled by money. And so generosity is a great key to contentment. He goes on and says, I've learned the secret to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul had lived on both sides of the street. In Philippi, you think about it, in Philippi when he started the church recorded in Acts 16, you see him in Lydia's house. Now Lydia was a very wealthy merchant in the city. And so he lived with her and her household in wealth and in, in nice food and in luxuries when he was planting the church. And then a few weeks later, he found himself in prison. And you read about that in Acts 16 as well. He was in prison, in a dungeon, in stocks. His back was whipped. So he'd been, even in one city, he'd been in wealth and in poverty. And yet, what was he doing in prison? You read the verses. He was singing to God, and God performed a miracle. So the point is, this wasn't a theory for Paul. He literally was totally rejoicing in the Lord, whether he was in the luxury house of Lydia or whether he was in the dire poverty and terrible situation of the jail, he loved God. And this is incredible, because contentment is independent of your circumstances. Happiness comes from the word hap, which means happenings or events. Happiness is based on events, but joy is based on God. And because God doesn't change, your joy can continue. You know, you can even be sad and yet joyful. You know that's possible? Some people battle with depression, and yet deep within them, there's a deep joy, because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's based on God, not based on circumstances, not based on chemicals, but based on God. So you can have this joy bubbling up, which overrides every emotion of your soul, and that joy gives, gives life and strength to your body. Verbalize that joy. Sing with that joy, even if your soul doesn't always feel like it. Go with that joy, and let that be a contentment in your life. And you know, the reality is, I'm, and you probably know these as well, I know very rich people 
who are deeply contented because of God. And I don't know very poor people who are deeply contented because of God. We know, I know both examples. You probably know both examples too. When I was in India a few weeks ago, I was with those kids. And those kids, they've lost everything. They don't have parents. And they brought be brought into our orphanage. And they're just being loved and cared for by Solomon and Sveta, his wife. Amazing, amazing environment. But you know, those kids are deeply happy. I joined them for morning prayers one morning. Oh, they were so joyful. So joyful. And then the evenings after they've done their classes and had their curry, I mean, that makes them happy in and of itself. A good curry every day. Imagine a good curry every day to inspire joy in your heart, right? And then after their curry, they just play games. No, no TV, no entertainment, just games. They playing, you know, egg and spoon race. They didn't have eggs, so it was like lemon and spoon race. And they would climb trees to get coconuts down and they would play games and do skipping and just beautiful, basic life, but joyful life. So full of joy and their contentment comes from God. And there's a widow that stays at the orphanage. This widow was rejected by the village. She'd been rejected by the village after her husband had died and she was basically just homeless, neglected, starving. And Solomon and the orphanage brought her in and introduced her to Jesus and showed her love. And she stays in the orphanage now and she cooks for the kids. And this is her life, very simple. Every day, she cooks for the kids three times a day. And she goes to church on a Sunday. She doesn't take any holidays because why would she want to? She's just so happy every day getting up. I've been given another chance at life. I've got God in my life. I get to serve people and make curry. I mean, how good is that? How good is that? So contented. So content. So grateful. Beautiful. David wrote in Psalm 23, famous Psalm, verse 1. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, you could say, well, was David writing that as a king? Because David became the greatest king of Israel. Was David writing that as a king from his palace? The Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. Oh, I don't think so. I think he was saying that probably as a summary of his entire life. David's, as a shepherd, when he was forgotten by his father and family up in the hillside, when he was even under threat of lions and bears coming and attacking, he had no wants because the Lord was a shepherd. And when he was a king and he had everything, he had no wants, not because he had everything, but because he had God. And then when he was on the run for his life, as he was on numerous occasions in his life, people trying to kill him, mutinies happening, he had no wants because God was a shepherd. You see, it's not circumstance that brings you to the place where you have no wants. It's God that brings you to the place if you have no wants. If you are currently discontented, it's not because you don't have enough stuff. It's not because you're in the wrong job. It's not because you're not married. It's because you're not enjoying God enough. That's it. That's it. If, if, if you are unemployed and discontented, your discontent is not to do with your unemployment. It's to do with you're lacking your connection with God. If, if you're single and you're not contented, it's not because you're single. It's because God isn't filling the deepest longing of your soul. If you're married and not contented, it's not because you've chosen the wrong woman or the wrong guy. It's because God isn't filling your soul. God can fill your soul in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And you can know peace and joy no matter what because God is your source. My friend Jim Ritchie, I was, I was with him last week. We had the, 
the national prayer breakfast, a really special moment where politicians, business people, and uh, pastors gathered together to pray for the nation at, at the Preston Field Hotel. I was at a table with Jim Ritchie. Jim Ritchie is the pastor of the Church of the Nazarene in Perth. In his church, he has Brian Souter, who runs Stagecoach, one of Scotland's wealthiest people. And he has also many of the other wealthiest men and women of Scotland are in his congregation. He said to us, you know, when we, when we started the church and we became, sorry, when I became pastor of the church, the group of them said to me, anything you want to do, pastor, any dream you've got, we will make it happen for you. Wow. But do you know what? What's the difference between you and him? What's the difference between me and him? Zip, nothing, no difference. You don't need to be a friend of Brian Sewer. No, I mean, Brian Sewer is a radically generous man. But I'm just telling you, Brian Sewer is not your source. Any dream you dream that has been originated by God, his will, his bill, God's vision, he will make provision for his vision. You, you flow with what God wants. There is nothing that's impossible. You are not limited by a thing. That's why Paul goes on in the verses and says, I love this. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the New American Standard, literal translation of the verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Say that with me. One, two, three. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Say it again. One, two, three. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, Paul was saying, do you know what? I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have nothing. But my life isn't limited by anything. I can do all things. No matter whether I've got nothing, I can still do all things. If I've got everything, I can still do all things. Because my life isn't based on natural limitations. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As long as you're living within God's will, there is literally no limitations on your life. That's the amazing thing. You go with God's will. It's God's will. It's God's bill. God makes provision for his vision. And I'm not saying that any idea you come up with he'll back. <laughs> well, that's about, I'm not going to back that. But God, if it's God's idea and you get on board with it, he'll back you. That's what he promises. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, when he says I can do all things, that applies to all things. <laughs> Pointing at the obvious here. That means, can you see the sick healed? Yeah. You can do all things through Christ. Can you plant churches? Yeah. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You, 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 can, you can see great things happen. There's no limitation. You can live a no limits life. But let me just make a point. In the context, this verse is replying, applying in particular to not just the miracle of healing. And it applies to that. And not just the miracle of church planting. It does apply to that. But here it's applying to the miracle of contentment. That Paul's saying, I know what it is to be, have lots and have nothing. But miracles happen. I can be content even in that situation. And actually, in this culture, that's maybe even a bigger miracle than some of the other miracles you experience. That you can be contented in all situations, that is a miracle. And then it ends, the verses end with the great provider. Love this. Verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Read that verse with me as well. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. All of our needs are met 
in Christ Jesus. You need healing? You get that in Christ Jesus. You need provision? You get that in Christ Jesus. You need marriage? You get that in Christ. You don't want to get that outside of Christ Jesus. You want to get that in Christ Jesus. Everything you get, you can get in Christ Jesus. I don't get anything in life if it isn't from the grace that comes from the cross. By his stripes, I am healed. He became poor that I could become rich. Any provision, any healing, everything that happens, for me, I don't, I, I don't expect to get anything from God if it were not for the grace that flows from a cross 2,000 years ago. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, just make a note here. This verse, God promising to meet all your needs, is not written to stingy people. <laughs> okay? So see, any, if some of you stingy people around can't quote this verse, all right? Well, yeah, God will meet all my needs, but you do zip all for anyone else. All right. I'm sure God will still love you. Silence. <laughs> Guys, you just cheer up a bit this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself up here. No one's saying amen or ha, ha, ha. That's a funny one. Or anything like that. I just silence. Okay, I'll, I'll go with it. Whether you give me anything back or not, I'll go with it. Thank you. So you know, this, this verse isn't written to stingy people. Now, God will bless stingy people. Thank God. Any stingy people say amen? <laughs> you just admitted it. Okay. Tricked you. That'll teach you for being silent in my services. So God will still bless stingy people. But this verse isn't written to stingy people. This verse is written to generous people. Listen, Paul just said to them in verse 18, I have received full payment. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied for. I've now received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Paul has received from them a gift that met all his needs. And he's now saying, wow, you've so blessed me. You've met all my needs. Do you know what? God's going to meet all your needs. God is saying to generous people, he's going to bless you. And Jesus said exactly the same. Jesus said exactly the same. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says exactly the same thing. How many people believe that? It's so true. This is God's word. You give and it will be given to you. You know, there are more promises in the Bible relating to generosity and then God's provision in your life than any other subject in the whole of the Bible. <laughs> it's quite amazing. Here's some of them. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 a generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. If you're generous, the Bible says, you'll prosper. And that's reverse psychology. The world would say, hoard, and you will do well. But the Bible says, be generous, and you will prosper. That's amazing. I literally believe it. You know, maybe you've heard me tell this story before. I remember as a student, I just got a pair of Timberland boots. I was so chuffed with these Timberlands. They were trendy then. And they've come back again. Rappers now wear them. It's cool. And I got a pair of Timberlands, and I was so chuffed with my Timberlands. And they're not cheap. But I had a summer job, and I bought a pair of Timberlands. And I sat down in church through in Glasgow. I was sitting there in the service, and there was a moment when we were praying. We are all like this. And I was sitting beside a homeless guy. And he was sitting there, and he had holes in his leather shoes. Literally, they were falling apart. They were brogues. They were, you know, falling apart. I mean, first of all, he had brogues. Right? That was a problem. Secondly, they were falling apart. Amen, Paul? 
Okay, amen. So rogues were falling apart. And I just felt, I've got to give them my Timberlands. I, I didn't want to feel that. But, but I couldn't shake this thought. And I thought, no. So I said, okay, Lord. So I said to the guy, hey, mate, would you like my shoes? <laughs> and the guy said, yeah. <laughs> so we did a swap. Oh, man, I did a swap. So I gave him a Timberlands away, and I, I couldn't bring myself to put in his on. So I actually walked to my car in my socks, <laughs> and I put his in a bin. Um, but true story, I have been given so many pairs of Timberlands since then. I, I've lost count of how many pairs of Timberlands, moccasins, tan boots, kind of shiny leather. I've been given so many pairs of Timberlands through the years. I've lost count. I've had so many pairs of Timberlands given to me out of the blue. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Give, and it will be given to you. Right. That's, I find that mind-blowing. Listen to this verse. By the way, should you give so you can get? No. You all got the right answer there. Should, should it be, oh, wow. All right, I get it now, Peter. So I'm going to give this so I can get this. You know what? God's not in heaven thinking, oh, they've really got it now. They're giving to get. How nice. That, he's not thinking, oh, they've become consumeristic. That's not what God's thrilling God's heart. I'm just telling you, if you give, you will get. I'm just telling you a statement of fact. God will see to it you get. That's what God promises. But you don't give to get. That would be so warped. That would be like bringing your fallen consumerism into your Christianity. That, and sadly, sometimes in Christianity, that's what happens. I, I didn't give to get. I gave because I loved. I gave out of obedience to God. So you don't give to get. But see, when God sees you giving, he sees you being just like him. And he thinks, wow, I can trust them with more. It says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he's decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now we're getting to the heart of it. You will be enriched in every way. Say that with me. You will be enriched in every way. So I'll say it. You repeat it. Ready? You'll be enriched in every way. So you can be generous on every occasion. Do you see it? God will enrich you in every way. Not just for you. But so that you can be generous on every occasion. I love that. So when God sees, God loves a cheerful giver. I think when God looks down and sees someone radically generous like the church at Philippi, he's saying, wow, they're being just like me. And when God sees that, he can trust you with more because life for you is not all about you. And he can trust you because you're not a dead end. You're a river. You're not a swamp. It's not just stuff flows in and nothing flows out. You're a river. Stuff flows in, stuff flows out. And as a result, God can say, I can bless someone like that. I can trust them with more resources because they're being good stewards with what I've given them. I love that. And the verses end in verse 20 and 23. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. So Destiny Edinburgh, happy 20th birthday. And you know what? We are here to live for the glory of God and to live in the grace of God. And that's what we'll continue to do in the years that lie ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this church. God, just as Paul was thanking you for that church in Philippi, 
I'm thanking you for this church here in Edinburgh. God, this is a church full of generous people. God, week in, week out, people give. People tithe, people give offerings, people give to the poor. People give officially, but people give unofficially. God, I'm constantly hearing stories of people helping others who are going through hard times. People helping out in situations that no one else knew about. Anonymous gifts. Thank you for the radical generosity I see in this church. And God, thank you for your promises. You promise that you will meet all of our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much. And I just pray for anyone today who's in a place of needs. I pray, God, for that promise over their life, that not just in financial areas, but in all different areas of their life, they would find you to be the ultimate needs meter, the ultimate provider. And as you do so, we will be careful to give you glory and thanks in Jesus' name. Okay, just keep your eyes closed for a moment. We're going to pray. If if you feel specifically God has has spoken to you, has maybe stirred something up in you, has provoked you to go further in an area, then just pray that back to God just now. Just make some, in God's presence, just make some decisions before God. It's a great opportunity to reflect and review on your own generosity. While people do that, let me give you an opportunity today. If today you've never met God, the most generous one ever, the one who gave everything for you, I would love the privilege in this moment to help you make that connection with God. This is more important than anything else in life. If you don't know God, I'm not asking you, do you want to be religious? I'm not, I don't want you to be religious, but I do want you to know God. I'm not asking you, do you want to become a member of this church? You'd be very welcome to, but I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, do you want to know God? If today you want to know God, and God wants to know you, he wants a relationship with you. And Jesus died on a cross, taking away all your sin so that you could be forgiven and have a relationship with God. And today you're saying, Peter, I want that relationship. Then pray this prayer with me just now, just one line at a time, under your breath. Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you today for your love for me. Jesus, thank you today. You lovingly, generously sacrificed everything for me. So today I make a choice before you to give my life to you. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross so I could be forgiven. And today I ask you for that forgiveness and I ask you for that new star. Jesus, thank you that on the third day you rose again from the dead. You're alive now. I say to you, I believe in you. I choose now to follow you. Be Lord of my life from this day forward. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Come into my life, God, from now on. If you just prayed that prayer, I'd love to pray for you. Keep your eyes closed all over this auditorium and in the cafe. If today you prayed that prayer, 
and that's the decision you've just made, I would like to pray for you, just where you are. In order to know who I'm praying for, can I ask you to do a simple thing? Just raise your hand nice and high so I can see it, then put it down again. Is there anyone like that today? You prayed that prayer, and that's the decision you made. Thank you so much. Is there anyone else? Thank you so much. Is there anyone else? Raise your hand high so I can see it. Is there anyone else out there? Just quickly raise your hand before I pray. God, thank you so much for these two precious people who today in your presence have just made the greatest decision of their life. They've put their faith in you, Jesus, the one who died for them and rose again. And you promise, if we just read it earlier, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And I thank you today, this is your gift to them. Thank you for the everlasting life you've just given them. I pray let them know total forgiveness, the courage to live for God now, and strength for the days ahead. Bless them. Lord, whether it's here or somewhere else, let them find a great church where they can now grow in that faith and encourage them from this day in Jesus' name.